when we talk about Marie Therese, we got we have so many stories of her courage, all that she did to support Father Shamana during the French Revolution, all she sacrificed for the women of the Misericord, how she fought the government. And so you look at her and you think, oh, I'm no Marie Therese. But then you read this and you're like, no, she struggled like all of us. She was human. Welcome to Sharing Our Marianist Stories. I'm Patty Garrett. And I'm Sister Gabby Bebo. And for this podcast, we're continuing our looking at the writings of the three founders. We looked at uh, Father Chaminade, we looked at Mother Adele, and today we're going to discuss some very interesting writing from Marie Therese. Can you talk about that, Gabby? Yeah, I can talk just a little bit as a preview, and then of course we'll get into it more. But um, unfortunately, unlike Father Chaminade and Mother Adele, um, we, we don't have very much of her own writing and her own words um, to look to. But what we do have is this self-offering, this text of a self-offering that she made in 1797. Um, it seems like she first made this kind of act of self-offering in 1792. We don't have any writing for that, but we have this from 1797 that actually it seems like Father Chaminade wrote down or copied out. But this is an offering that Marie Therese makes to God in writing as a victim and expiation of the crimes committed to during the revolution. And we can talk more about that, but it's, it's just really interesting and it provides a different insight into her life um, and her personality. So as we do at NACMAS, we read these things a lot, but I saw something a little different this time. So I look forward to talking about it. And part of it is, as you mentioned, when we talked about Father Chaminade, is we do have to be a little forgiving of the language because the language is just at that time, just very, could be very dark. So you, and you have mentioned that before, that's kind of historically true, isn't it, Gabby? It is. And also Marie Therese herself and again, we'll talk, I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but Marie Therese also had some, some real struggles emotionally and psychologically that lent itself to that kind of darkness too, which we'll, we'll talk about. So, And just think that Father Chaminade had an influence on this, so it wasn't quite as dark. That's something to think about too. This is with his positive influence. So why don't you go ahead and read it? Okay. Her personal notes, which are presented here, which we're about to read, are dated January 1797. So Marie Therese says, I sincerely renew the offering I have made of myself to be his victim. I wish to live this way all my life, and to be his victim in every possible and imaginable sense of the word. I agree to the immolation of every particle of my being with a view to his good pleasure alone, 
and his glorification as my creator. Without personal interest, I offer him my entire self, my tastes, my inclinations. From my offering, I exclude nothing. I abandon myself to him. His glory is the only good I desire. Unworthy creature, miserable, proud, downright sinner that I am, through the blackest ingratitude, after so many benefits, I still dare to tell him I wish to belong only to him. I know very well that of myself I can do nothing. But God, who has brought me into existence, is all-powerful. God gives me the desire or the wish, however weak, to bow to the blows of his justice. But if any illusion yet lurks in what I am writing here, may this infinitely powerful God, this Father infinitely good, turn it to his glory. May he thwart my enemy and convert to his utter confusion all the foolish fancies with which he would wish to envelop me. If my imagination or my passions are taking the place of proper sentiments in me, may God destroy, stifle, and banish these futile phantoms. God, you know what I am. You know better than I the depth of corruption which defiles everything I do. You also know the, I am at a loss for the right term, that is making me write this. You know that it seems to me, at least, I would sign it with my blood. But you also know that illusions haunt me. My pride constantly deceives me, and I imagine the sentiments with which it inspires me to be my own. Who will deliver me? Who will cure me if not you, O Lord? Do you not wish me to turn to you? Then give me also the grace of always desiring to address myself to you. Accept the miserable offering I am again making to you. Deign then to receive this unhappy creature. Receive her as a victim. Take possession of her. She is offering herself to you. She is sacrificing her life for love of you. Here, my God, is what I wish to say to you every moment of my life. Every day I will read what I have written here. Thank you, Gabby. Could you set us up historically where we are and what she's witnessed? Yes. So as I mentioned before in our little introduction to this letter, it seems like from the research that I did very briefly before the, our conversation that in 1792, she made a, an act of self-offering to God in expiation for the crimes of the revolution. Um, so 1792 was the beginning of what we call today in the French Revolution, the Reign of Terror. 
And it was the most brutal, most violent, most bloody stage of the revolution. This is where the guillotine becomes really well known. Thousands upon thousands of people were being executed by the guillotine. But there was also horrible popular violence by like violent mobs. So one of the one of the most gruesome points that really I think like begins this reign of terror are what's called the September massacres. And that was where um, you know France, they had just gone to war with other powers in Europe who didn't like the revolution and wanted to like save the monarchy in France. So France was at war and there was this great panic across the country that um, people who were in prisons were somehow spies for the other European powers that we were at war with. And so there was this great panic. And so people rose up and stormed the prisons. And the prisons were filled with priests who didn't take the oath to the government and also a lot of petty criminals. Some of them were teenagers, children who like stole food, things like that, um, indiscriminately stormed prisons and just slaughtered the people in the prisons. And it was, it was horrific. So, so Marie Therese in Bordeaux, and, and Bordeaux at this time, again, experiences this kind of terror. We know she's hearing about this. She's seeing this. Um, she would not be untouched by this violence because her spiritual director, he who was a priest, went to the guillotine. Um, I don't remember what year, if we know what year. So she's seeing this, this horror, and she is thinking, oh my God, you know, God is going to condemn all of these people, these people who are committing these horrible sins, murder, rape, um, you know, maiming people. And so she makes this offering of herself as a victim, you know, offering her life to God to basically to say, you know, um, look kindly upon the people who are killed and upon those who are doing the killing. And I also think it was a like a consecration of herself because she could also be killed. You know, we know that she did a lot of work in the underground church in Bordeaux of helping connect priests who were in hiding to people who needed sacraments. Um, you know, there was many acts of bravery that she herself did. So it was also like an offering of herself to God of like, take me, use me to do the work that I can do. And then knowing that at any moment, I can be killed too. So so we think she first made that offering in 1792. And then she, this is like a really strong renewal of that offering. I also want to say that this document, this the original of this self-offering, she did sign in her own blood. Like that's, it was intense. That was how intense it was of like, this is serious. And yeah, she read it every day of her life. She renewed that offering of herself every day. She's not saying, I'm a good person, so save me. She's offering herself for the sacrificing herself for everyone. And in a way, as dark as this is written, and 
you know, I'm hoping some of the language of her own feels like she, her almost self-hatred. Um, I hope, I hope a lot of that's just the language of the time. I'm sure that is inner struggles that she had. No one's perfect. You know, she, um, I'm sure she had a lot of inner struggles and then witnessing what she witnessed only amplified that. But her response was to try to save everyone, not just herself. And I think this comes back to the misericord. She's dealing with these constant kind of demons and self-doubts. I'm sure uh, a psychiatrist today would have some labels, but she worked them out by trying to, to help others. I think in terms of the darkness, how hard she is on herself and you know, when she says things like unworthy creature, miserable, proud, downright sinner that I am through the blackest ingratitude after so many benefits. So we know that Marie Therese really struggled with scrupulosity, which is, if you people are not familiar with that, it's this, um, I mean, really, it's it's today, that is a psychological diagnosis of, um, I think it's like a, it's a form of obsessive compulsive disorder of this overwhelming, debilitating sense that you are bad, that you are damned, um, and can lead to like repeating prayers over and over again because you didn't do it right the first time or you have a feeling like God isn't happy with how you did something like that. Um, going to confession every day, maybe multiple times a day. So this is what's really cool. And you see in her relationship with Father Shamanad, who became a spiritual director for her, and then they really became collaborators and friends, is he is very clear to her, like, do not repeat prayers, you know, meditate on God's mercy, really trying to help her overcome that scrupulosity. And so for me, when I read parts of this, I'm, I'm partly like, oh, Marie Therese, that's so sad that, you know, that's like your view. But I, but I know it's, it was something she struggled with. And I think when she renews this in 1800, I see you can read a different version of this. That part of it is less pronounced. So I, I think as she gets o older, that is something that becomes better, is alleviated for her. Um, and it also is probably a way for her to, like the, the fear and the trauma of this time, to have it be channeled into this kind of like, anxious sense of like feeling like you're a bad person it makes sense to me um that it took that shape i don't know if i had witnessed the reign of terror that i would have been able to keep such a strong faith that there was a loving god i mean i have read that the streets were literally running with blood nobody could escape the horror and then to still believe there was a loving God. And then, I mean, I think when you read her biography that uh, Father Joe Stefanelli wrote, she had these tendencies as a little girl, you know, so this was going to be exacerbated by something like the reign of terror. <laughs> um, 
but just very, the fact that she could keep that faith was very impressive. And I, I appreciate you bringing up the relationship between her and Father Chaminade. I mean, he certainly helped her. And then I think some of her uh, OCD helped him with finances and all these little details and things that he needed support with as well. Yeah, over time, it's, you know, when the Society of Mary was starting and then the Daughters of Mary were starting, Chaminade relied on Marie Therese a lot to be, um, you know, a representative in some business affairs. When the Marianist sisters started, he he sent Marie Therese to Agen to help the sisters kind of get up and running because she at this point for 16 years had been running the misery cord of women who were um, believing lives of prostitution. And so she knew how to run a house, a religious house full of women. And, and so she was very competent at that. So it did, it becomes a, it really starts out as a spiritual direction relationship. And then it becomes a friendship and, and collaborative Something that I think is important that I'm think I'm just now making this connection is so misericord and French means mercy. I don't think that's an accident that that's what the misericord was called because a result of Marie Therese's struggle with her sinfulness, this feeling of of her being so sinful is that she really had to concentrate on the mercy of God. And she really had to trust in that in a way that I think she couldn't take it for granted. You know, like she, that became such a focus for her. And I, and I think that was one of the reasons why she accepted this ministry to work with, with these women um, to be mercy and that's one of the one of a quote we do have from her. Let us and our house be mercy, um, you know, to be mercy for them and to really trust in God's mercy. But when I share this with other people, I, I especially share the, the very last part, which is still so beautiful. She's offering herself, talking about herself. She's offering herself to you. She is sacrificing her life for love of you. Here, my God, is what I wish to say every moment of my life. I mean, that's just beautiful. And she lived that. You know, she was faithful to that. And it's just, I, I find it very inspirational once you can move past some of the really heaviness of it. And all with, like, I believe she read it every day. Every day at the same time and probably did all sorts of things. But then you look at how she ran the misery cord. She had a really strict schedule for that house. Up at five, praying, allowed to talk, not allowed to talk, praying. Um, and that's probably exactly what those women needed, having just been on the streets and kind of at the will of whatever life threw at them. She brought them in this house where there was stability and control of yourself. I mean, she had a lot of control too. She you know, she wasn't, she wasn't super gentle. You know, she knew what she was doing. And under all that saying, and you are a child of God, you are loved. The line that really strikes me amongst many of this was, 
about her imagination. If my imagination or my passions are taking the place of proper sentiments in me, may God destroy, stifle, and banish these futile phantoms. That goes back to the, you know, the silences for the system of virtues. And I think kind of really hits the nail on the head of what a lot of this issue is, is um, just your imagination running wild. I mean, her deciding that she was worthless and because of, uh, you know, human actions, this was, God must be so disappointed. I mean, that's all in her imagination. So I have a feeling, in fact, I think I know that we have somewhere that Father Shamanat addressed this with her. That's a really great connection to the silences, Patty, because, um, well, at this time, pretty much all the letters we have from Father Chaminade in these years, 1795 to 1800, 1801, are his letters to Marie Therese. Um, so we can see what he, the advice he gave to her. But I, I wonder if his experience directing her helped him um, really come up with or think through the silences because that is part of silence of mind and silence of passions is not just like shutting out things but but like of recognizing what's true and what's not true so that if for Marie Therese to have this feeling of like I'm bad God thinks I'm bad wants to send me to hell to be able to kind of like distance yourself from that and to say like, that's not true. And then to ask God, like she does here, to take that away from her. When we talk about Marie Therese, we, got, we have so many stories of her courage, all that she did to support Father Shamana during the French Revolution, all she sacrificed for the women of the Misericorde, how she fought the government. And so you look at her and you think, oh, I'm no Marie Therese. But then you read this and you're like, no, she struggled like all of us. She was human. She could function and she worked on it and got better, but it never went away. But it also supported a lot of this courage, a lot of her determination to help the women of the Misericorde. So we don't have to be perfect. It's just nice to know that she wasn't just this determined woman that fearless. You get the feeling that she was fearless. And here she was anything but fearless. That's a great point. And I think that's that's so true. I don't think she or even anybody, you know, was fearless, but definitely courageous. It's like, despite my fear, I'm going to trust in God and God's protection and, and God's walking with me throughout all of this. Yeah, I, I do think that's helpful. And for anybody else who is experiencing fear or anxiety or low self-esteem, you know, to really pray to Marie Therese and say, like, there's so much you can teach me about how to overcome this. Um, I think that's another great thing we can learn from her. Well, I've, I've really enjoyed this visiting of the founders, and I hope we continue. We'll keep digging for some good letters or writings that we can share and delve into. And I think what we try to do at NACMIS is look at history and see how it is relevant today. And it's just, it always amazes me how relevant it is today. 
yeah, I've enjoyed this too. This is great. And I hope you listening have also enjoyed and learned something new. And maybe if you are interested in reading more about Marie Therese, we have a great little book booklet you can buy from NACMIS that's like, I don't know, $6 or so. Um, you can look on our bookstore. If you want to know a lot more about her, we also have the, like the definitive biography of Marie Therese written by Father Joe Stefanelli some years ago that has everything you want to know and more about Marie Therese. So you can find that on our bookstore as well. And if you have any letters you'd like us to read or dig into, or you've heard a quote that you want us to find, we're in. Let us know. We'd love to do that. Thank you for listening.